Welcome to Hit the Median, a political podcast that aims to be nonpartisan. And just like taxi drivers, we are hitting the median. And hopefully, unlike taxi drivers, we won't be going extinct. Alright, so, what are we talking about today, Phil? Alright, today we're talking about foreign policy. We got North Korea on the agenda. We got Iran on the agenda. We got China on the agenda. So let's start off with North Korea. Alright. So, there was a summit supposedly happening between the Trump administration and Kim Jong-un's administration. And we don't know if that's on or off or what the status of that is. Um, so, And that summit was planned from Singapore for Singapore, which was a neutral place. A place that I believe they put there because... I mean, that, that they decided that location because if it was a trap, Kim Jong-un, I believe, felt that he, that was a place that he could get out of and get back to North Korea in time. That's why I was picked. Now, recently, Trump canceled it. That was about a week, maybe a bit more than a week ago. And he canceled it because, ostensibly because Kim Jong-un was hostile in his comments about the vice president and calling him I think a dummy and I'm not exactly sure why that is sufficient of reason for Kim Jong-un to can't I mean for Trump they want to cancel I, I remember when it happened that um people like I was watching CNN a bit and they were saying that oh you know US was never ready for this and once they got Bolton in, once they got Pompeo in, now they're getting Gina Haspel in. I've, perhaps those people aren't on board. They're more conventional types. So Trump, who's a non-conventional person, which is one of the reasons why the de-proliferation meeting was set up in the first place, because remember, no president has ever went to the table with leader of North Korea. No president has ever met the leader of North Korea. And... Trump was willing to go out of the box and try to do it, but the CNN type people were saying, oh, well, he was never ready to do it in the first place. You don't sit two leaders down and have them negotiate. You make sure all the negotiations are taken out of the way beforehand, and then it's just basically like a photo op. And I think Trump and Kim Jong-un really do want to try to negotiate because they're both kind of high stakes, like, let's say, balls-to-the-wall gambler types. Like, they both kind of like the idea of being, making a difference, actually acting, good or bad, I think they both like that, and um, Trump, so I, it, some people are saying it was, let's say, brinksmanship on Trump's point to cancel the meeting, I think Trump wanted to, I think Trump canceled the meeting maybe from pressure from the new people he's put in positions on foreign policy, are pro- probably pressuring him not to go out on a limb. They don't want him, him to be embarrassed. But I think Trump really wants the um, peace with North Korea. And so, but he doesn't want to be disrespected, right? Trump, Trump, one of his main 
policy things, one of his main attitudes is don't get disrespected by foreign foreign countries, right? Like, I'm not bowing to anybody. I'm not going to have anybody talk down to me. We can shake our hands. We can make a concession. We can cut a deal. But you're not going to disrespect me in the process. You're not going to disrespect America in the process. So when Kim Jong-un released a statement that was disrespectful towards Mike Pence, I think Trump felt like, no, you need to get this in order. So now, actually, recently, I think on Friday, North Korea has come back with a warm response to Trump canceling the meeting. And now they've said, actually, we do want to have a meeting. I think they were a little caught off guard that Trump would cancel the meeting. And now they're trying to get back on the same page. And people are saying, of course, all these media experts, right? The so-called media experts, I guess. Now they're kind of having to they're eat their... They're so smart. That's why we're doing this podcast. They're having to eat their hats a bit because they're now having to say, all right, well, maybe it is on after all. Yeah. You know who really scares me in Trump Trump's appointments? Who? Gina Haspel. Why? Uh, she was in charge of a CIA prison, basically, that did interrogations in Thailand. Black, a black site, black yeah. site right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, like CIA black site, and so she really scares me, and uh, this woman is in charge of the CIA, and the guy that was in charge of the CIA is now the Secretary of State, and he was in favor of, like, John Pompeo, or John Pompeo, sorry, I'm... Mike Pompeo. Um, Mike Pompeo. I'm thinking John Bolton, too, because I have to, I'm going to cover John Bolton once I am done with Mike Pompeo. Mike Pompeo, he served in the House of Representatives from 2011 to 2017 before he was appointed as the CIA director in 2017. And Mike Pompeo is in favor of all of these surveillance programs. Right. And now he is the Secretary of State, thankfully not the Secretary of Defense. Uh, so... Secretary of State is Pompeo. Yeah, Secretary of Defense is Madison and President. Biden. So who's Bol- Bolton in charge of? Uh, John Bolton is just National Security Advisor. So all he does is advise. Yeah. He doesn't have any actual... And everybody knows John Bolton is trustworthy, as the Iraq War is going to demonstrate, right? What I don't like... He was undersecretary. What I don't like is all of these people who say... Like McCain. All of these people... McCain, he's dying, right? He's over in his ranch in Arizona. He's taking all these visits from people, and, and he wrote a book. And... He keeps saying like I don't know I don't know I just I don't really like John McCain I'm not gonna hate on him like on his deathbed but he's saying oh in his book one of my great mistakes was the Iraq War well fine if it was a great mistake what have you learned from it like maybe Bolton would I don't know what Bolton would say I don't even think he would say Iraq War is a mistake but if he were to say Iraq War is a mistake why keep following the same mindset and the same policy that got us into Iraq. In Syria, in Iran, yeah. in North Korea. It's like, how many wars do you really want to fight? Yeah, that's... Okay, so, um, Mike Pompeo, he is... I don't know, really know if we know what his view is. I, I don't think he wants war right now, but he's definitely not going to take war off the table. John Bolton, he's a warmonger. Straight up warmonger. He wants to just strike North Korea right now while we still have the element of surprise, that way we don't lose the element of surprise and we can just go right in and destroy them all. General Mattis thinks that military combat should be a last resort because Secretary Mattis, I keep calling him general, which he is a general, but Secretary Mattis 
actually understands how combat works, and he understands how much life we would lose if we went to the Korean Peninsula in a military conflict, and how much uh, life would be lost in China and Japan and South Korea. So that's also a big deal. Well, Mattis seems like way more... Remember, Mattis also had a lot of military experience. Yeah, I don't, I don't know a, that... He was a five-star general. I don't think... And he's the one that, I think, led the invasion of Afghanistan or Iraq. I don't remember. But I think it's Afghanistan. But I don't think that Pompeo has had any military experience. I mean, I, no, I think he's had military experience. I don't think he's had any combat experience. And I might be wrong on that. And I and I definitely don't think Bolton has had any combat experience. John Bolton has absolutely no clue about anything military related, as the Iraq War would tell us. I just feel that like Mattis is more knowledgeable and more wise about it because he's seen what it looks like from the inside versus these guys who are just kind of like this old school, old guard, neocon. Oh, you know, con- you know, maintain American hegemony. Bomb who we need to bomb. Take away the resources that we need to get from people. Control, control, control. Put in these puppet governments. Overturn this person that we don't like. It's like oh, so ridiculous. It's such an old-fashioned way to look at things, and it's, it didn't help us. Like it's been, to me, it's been undermining American actual american influence and power in the world like maybe it helps in the short term but influencing actual reputation of the country for like the past 50 years because our reputation coming out of world war ii was probably at its zenith yeah. and it's been on the decline i would say since yeah and a lot of it has to do with these warmongers and these people yeah. that are just trying to you know put in puppet governments and then take the resources away from these countries that are trying to develop if i could take back any of my political views right when I was in high school and just graduating high school and in my early adult life, it would be my view on the war in Iraq. Because I thought, oh, well, you know, we're in, we must be in Iraq for a reason because the government wouldn't be stupid enough to just go into another country, into a sovereign nation, sovereign nation and kill a bunch of people and bomb a bunch of, bunch of things, would they? Now I remember why... Now I remember why... What? Why um, Kim Jong-un got mad. Kim Jong-un got mad and called, um, and called uh, um, Pence ignorant and stupid because Pence brought up the Libya model as a possible working model for North Korea. But what happened in the Libya model is Gaddafi gave up any aspirations of nuclear, nuclearization in exchange for nothing quote-unquote normalized relations with the U.S., but he got nothing, and then within a year or two, he was assassinated. We know they were backed by um, U.S. forces, right? So Kim Jong-un is looking at it. He's like, oh, Libya model. Like, we're going into these talks, and you're calling the Libya model? Basically, I give up my nukes, I get nothing, and then I get off, like, shot with a pistol on my butthole. Like, I think that's what happens to Gaddafi. It's like, no, thank you. And he's like, that's stupid that you're going to say that. Like, he wants to, obviously, he wants to maintain his power, right? Yeah. And even if he, like, he's been talking to Moon Jae-in, the um, South Korean leader, which we'll talk about a little bit, the idea of possibly of a reunification on the Korean Peninsula. But for Kim Jong-un, you're coming to the table. You've been wilding out for a while, telling the world, like, basically, like, don't mess with me. I got nukes. 
and now I'm going to give up my nukes for nothing, like, just so that I can get offed, like, once I give up my nukes, no, I'm trying to at least maintain some power, so, the Libya model is about the worst possible thing, and Trump, when, when he heard it, he disagreed, and he said, no, we're not going to do the Libya model, because, as Trump said, what's the word Trump used when he was talking about, he said, he said, Libya was very, not dismayed, they were very, um, he said something along the lines of, like, we can't, oh, devastated, maybe, he's like, we went in there, we devastated Libya, and we're not trying to do that, he's saying, we're trying to give a good deal to Kim Jong-un, that was a bad example for them to even mention Libya, because I want a strong North Korea, that's what Trump said. I'd like to explain some of Trump's negotiating tactics. The way he negotiates is he takes a really extreme position on purpose, not because he actually believes the extreme position, but he does it just so everybody else gets freaked out. They're like, okay, we'll move an inch toward toward you on the spectrum. And that's what he usually does. And I think Mike Pence was trying to copy the art of the deal and said something that Trump would never say. Because that's like the opposite of something that you want to say to somebody. Oh, we'll give you, when you're trying to make a deal, you can't tell somebody, we're going to make a deal where you come out a loser and then we're going to kill you. Right. That's not exactly the way to make a deal. Yeah, that's 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 not how you make a deal. Can you imagine that on, on Let's Make a Deal? Let's make a deal. I'll be, tell you what. You can have this suitcase, or you can have the money that we're offering you. Boom. Takes the money, pulls out a pistol, shoots him. Yep, there you go. So, I have nothing. one thing that I think about with this is whether or not like what? What is if you are Kim Jong Un? What's your end game in this? What do you want the reunification? I think he probably does. I remember when him and and Moon, um, South Korea's president, met in uh, the other day at the DM, like the demarcated zone, whatever yep. it's called, DMZ line. I think it's yep. called. Um, that he said when he went up there. And he shook hands with him and they had a conversation. He said what was surprising to him was why it took so long for this to happen. Why did it take, I think he's been in power nine years. Why did it take nine years to get to this point where he could shake the hand of the South Korean? Because ethnically they're the same people. Mm-hmm. They've, they've had a big divide obviously in terms of like economy, economic growth and and let's say open disposition or closed disposition towards the world but they come from the same people group they're they're culturally the same they speak the same language and why not be able to unify um what the government would look like we don't know like would it stay more of an open south korean economy probably would it look like china where they have some centralized planning mixed with um an open economy that, that, I think, would probably be the case. I think they would add in some centralized planning. I think that maybe Kim Jong-un would be put into a position of, like, maybe he would become, like, a... I don't know. What do you think he would become? Like, what would be the best outcome for him? Let's say he... De- this is what I would do. This okay. is what I would do. Okay. If I were the U.S. and South Korea, mm-hmm. I would say, okay, listen, let's just reunify both countries, and we'll make Kim Jong-un the Secretary of State. It's not big enough position for you. Like okay. I would want to be, if I were Kim Jong Un, I wouldn't. Say, I would. I would want to be a prince. Well, the, what other choice does he have at this prince. moment? Prince. 
Yeah, but what other choice does he's he have? He's the head of a state. You don't go from head yeah, of a state to head secretary of state. Yes, but he's the head of a state, a failing state. I don't think that the state is failing. I feel. It's I think fa- so. He has the leverage of. First of all, they have nu- They have nuclear capabilities, which only what ten? Like, how many countries have? France has, China, Germany has, Russia, U.S. has, Russia has, China has, Pakistan has, India has, Chile has. I think that's it. Eight countries. And you don't think China's just going to Israel? Israel's nine. I don't know if Japan has. Uh, Japan doesn't, but they definitely have right. military. So there's only. And then North Korea. So there's 10 countries with, with nuclear weapons. So you're already one of the 10, arguably, in that way, one of the 10 most powerful countries. So if, And you're the sole leader of that country. It's not like you have like a president where you can just get unelected. You have a tremendous amount of power. Yeah, that's true. So why go from that to being the Secretary of State, which is an advisory role, to the President? I think the, that Kim Jong-un I mean, is... President Moon. I think Kim Jong-un is starting to show his human side. That maybe he actually is not... Okay. He's showing his human side. And the thing about um, cultures outside of Western culture is people try to save face. Okay. And so Kim Jong-un, the reason he makes all these threats and has a giant dingling comparing contest with Trump... Right. You know, who's who's his bigger... Whose hands are bigger, in other words. Yeah, exactly. Trump has has big hands. Don't worry about it. That's what he claims. So what does it mean if you have big hands? Well, you obviously have big fingers. Alright. Anyway, so... So, um... Saving face. Yeah, he's saving face. And so, they keep comparing, um... Who can can use the most rhetoric and and be the biggest jerk? So, with this... Uh, Kim Jong-un needs to save face because the United States is a huge force. All the countries that surround North Korea, Russia, China, South Korea, Japan, and then the country that's threatening the United States, all of those countries have giant economies and, and are just huge players in the world. All five of those countries are huge players, and three of those countries are on the permanent council. Are yeah, permanent members? Us. Yeah, they're on permanent. They're permanent members of the UK UN Council. The UN Council, right? So they're permanent members, and that's that's a big deal. So they have to try to save face. So Kim Jong Un is probably just talking it up because he needs to try to establish himself in order to get a better deal. I think another thing that hurt Kim Jong-un was when Xi, President Xi of China made a deal. First of all, President Abe, or whatever his name, I think his name is Abe Sho. What's the name of the um, Japanese president? Abe, I mean. His name is Abe, not Abe. Abe. Japan and and U.S. relations are very good right now. Japan and... um, uh, I mean, Chinese, Shinzo Abe is his name. Chinese and American relations going into Trump's term were not, were, I would say, mediocre. Because China had stolen a lot of intellectual property. We know, didn't Samsung just get like a huge, another huge ruling? That yeah, and then Apple pay? got a ruling against Samsung. It's kind of just back and how forth. Much did, no, no, but how much did Apple get against Samsung? A couple billion, right? Yeah, and the, but Samsung got 
got, um, I think it was a billion dollars, and then they lowered it. And then on appeal, it was down to like $500 million. That Apple has to pay them? Yeah. But now they have to or pay no, Apple. Samsung has to pay Apple. And then Samsung just got another ruling against Apple. That's what it was. Yeah. But so. we know that Samsung has been stealing intellectual property. Yeah, was, isn't Samsung a Korean company, though? Chinese or Korean? They're Korean. They're South Korean. Are they? But Chinese, but the point still stands. We know that Chinese steal Chinese, they steal all sorts of intellectual property, and that's a big deal. And so I'm glad that uh, Trump is standing up for intellectual property, too. Uh, we're going to get to China a little bit later. Oh, we're going to talk to North Korea, about North Korea a little bit more, I think. Wait, no, no, but I just wanted to add this about, because China and North Korea are connected, right? Remember in 2016 when they were running the debates in Remember, Obama said to Trump when Trump got into office that your biggest problem is going to be, um, I hope it's picking me up, yeah. that your biggest problem is going to be North Korea. And it picks you up great, actually. And the response, the and the response, and tr but Trump's response, I, I don't think that Obama had an effective approach with either China or North Korea. I agree because there was yeah, a lot Bush. of there was a a lot. Oh, Bush is worse than Obama. Yeah, but there were a lot works. of ag aggressions and like escalating tensions. I think when Obama was in office between Russia and U.S., between China and the U.S., and between North Korea and the U.S. Now he did do a lot towards Iran, and we'll have to talk about the Iran deal, with how effective it was. What, what could be put in its place? Should it be maintained? But regardless, um, there was issues between him and Xi from China. And, and Trump and Xi have gone along. And Trump and Xi made a deal where Xi agreed to put um, uh, sanctions on North Korea. Because 80, something like 85% of the products and services that go into North Korea come in through China. Yep. So, like, basically, if they put a clamp, like, imagine 85% of your... Remember, that's how they got Iran, Iran also yep. to the table, is through sanctions. And if they put a clamp, if the international community, because the world's global economy is so global, if the if certain players in the international community decide to choke out your, your trade sanction you it's like you're, you're you're since you're not doing things domestically since you're not growing your own sh things like you know what i mean you're not getting your a lot of what you need from your own domestic country right because the world is so specialized you won't be able to have a functioning economy a lot of times if you've yep. grown dependent on other countries and they decide to choke out the um speaking of economics the hose uh, kim jong-un said he wants to denuclear he's Kim Jong-un said he wants to denuclearize to focus on growing his economy because the sanctions are finally starting to work. He's well, that's what I'm saying. Poverty. That's what I'm saying. It yeah. was Trump's work with China and getting Xi to sanction North Korea, which you wouldn't think that China would want to do because North Korea is also a communist country, and China overall would be promoting communism. At least well, that would be the old way of looking at it. China has become a lot less communist over the last 70 years or so. I don't know if that's true. They still centralize planning. Well, they still Shen, have a lot Shen, of central planning. Shenzhen sure, is a but city. But businesses do a lot more than than they used to. Well, it's not like here. No, I mean, no, and, I mean, but it's also probably more effective. I think that obviously their economy has grown at double or triple the rate of the U.S. economy in the past twenty years. So, yep. in some ways, their economy is better. They have more startups. I mean, they might not have. 
Well, it's because they're copying all of our ideas. Right, they steal a lot of it. So we've done a lot of the legwork, and they've been hopping on it. But they always say that the the countries that are... Well, not always, but one thing Chesterton used to say is that the countries that are humble enough to copy are the countries that will conquer. If you're humble enough to sit at the feet and copy your enemy, you'll conquer because you'll conquer your enemy eventually because you learn from him. So, like, your enemy... Right? Like, we're rivals of China. Yeah, we manipulated currency, and they said, we can do it better. I don't know that we ever manipulated currency. But Really? But they... I How long have we had a 0% interest rate? I think that's... I don't know if that's manipulating the currency. That's not... The, the dollar... It doesn't affect the dollar. It just means that businesses get cheap money. Basically, free money. Or, or literally... Like, it's a, stimu- it's a way to stimulate the economy. Yeah, but the lower the inflation, the lower your economy is valued and the more foreign investors want to invest because the cost of buying stuff in your country is cheaper. And if we were doing that at 0% interest, you know, the United States has been doing that for like the last 20 or 30 years. China said, oh, well, we can do it better, and they did. But anyway, back to North Korea. Recently, what happened was the South I think Korean you're mixing up two things there. The, 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 the currency manipulation and, and interest rates. I, I mean, I'm sure they're connected, but they're not the same thing. Well, that's one of the big ways of manipulating currency is artificially low interest rates. I mean, the Fed sets the interest rate. Yeah, and they've so been they setting it way too but low. It's not art, I know they've been setting it low, but they've been setting it low in order to um, stimulate business. Yeah, but it, even before that, it was way too low under under Bush. And I'm sure it's to get home ownership. Yeah, it was to do a lot of different things. That's the problem. Um, but but because we were doing it, China also did it too. But the difference is, China actually had tangible factories and businesses to back it up. Well, I think China's current. What I think China's currency manipulation is is that China doesn't tie our currency sets the standard for the world, right? Yep. And we are in a number of currency. I, I don't know the name of the currency exchange, but we're in a currency exchange. China's not. So China literally, the government just says what their currency is worth, and they can say it's worth less than it is, which is what they do with their economy. They say in the in if they do their economy in U.S. dollars, which is the the whatever their currency is called the yen the or won. the one if they do it in US dollars our economy looks bigger than their economy but if you do it in purchasing parity power which is an inter, like a international non manipulated currency just like a like a theoretical currency their economy passed our economy almost well let's say 2014 so 4 years ago and we have the third biggest economy so first is china second is eu and ours is third yep. so uh, we like to say we're the number one economy but it's only because of the way the dollar is valued that we're the number one economy if you put it in international terms we're the number 3 biggest economy in the world now yeah um well we were talking about north korea but since we're on this we might as well might as well just dive right into the chinese economy um, so, the U.S. exports $1.6 trillion worth of things around the world. Mm-hmm. And we import $2.4 trillion yeah. worth of stuff. And so our trade deficit is $771 billion. Okay. Now, we import $462.6 billion from China, and we only export $115.6 billion to China. So our trade deficit with China 
is $347 billion. Most of our, uh, like, a huge, huge chunk of our, of our uh, trade deficit is with China. Uh, you know, 45% of our trade deficit is with China. And actually, the trade deficit is even bigger than that with China because of transshipping. Phil, what's transshipping? I'm not sure. Tell me what transshipping is. Okay. Transshipping is a country produces the raw material, right? They have the raw material, and they ship it to another country. And then that country makes a tangible product off of it, okay. and then they ship it to the U.S. Okay. That would be transshipping. Who pays the taxes? Who pays the tariff? The second country? Yeah, so it would be the tariff would be based on the second country. So the way China has gotten around all these different tariffs is by shipping instead of giving us the tangible finished product. What they've been doing is they have been uh, shipping raw materials to other countries that have lower tariffs, and so because they have lower tariffs. Well, what country has lower tariffs? Not EU. Canada. Okay. So they ship to Canada. South Korea. So they'll Japan, make so Thailand. they'll they'll uh, take an ore of let's say iron that that could be used to make steel. They'll ship the ore to China. I mean to Canada, and then Canada will refine it into steel, and then or or they'll make steel themselves. They'll send it to Canada. Canada will cut the steel or, or mm -hmm. put it down into sheets, and then they'll bring it over free in the NAFTA agreement. Yep, exactly. So China. That's like. Yeah, exactly. That's smart. So the reason, the real reason that everybody is up in arms about this whole uh, tariff thing that tr that Trump wants to do, can I just say this? Can I just say this? Is because he doesn't just want to put the tariff on China; he wants to put it on all imports coming into the U.S. because he's tired of China. Well, people, I understand what you're saying, but I, but I bet that people think that we shouldn't be making aluminum or or steel here. Because people see that as old technology. It's not. I mean, those are important materials, yeah, important you technologies. Steel. You build everything, every building, every new building, let's say skyscraper that is built, is built with steel, reinforced steel, which is steel and concrete. It's not like in glass, which it, it's not like this is like not important, right? So if we're going to do infrastructure, you need steel, right? A exactly. bridge, you need reinforced concrete, you need steel. So... Obviously, it's important. If we're paying somebody else to produce it, that means they're making a lot of money off of it. Um, what, what, to me, but people also think of, oh, Pittsburgh used to be a great steel manufacturer, but that's the old world. Why are you trying to go backwards in time? We need to be moving forwards in time. We were supposed to move from a manufacturing economy to a service economy. I thought that was us making progress. Why are you trying to move us back to manufacturing? Well, it's obviously not progress considering our trade deficit. Well, the way I think it is, the way that I feel that it has, I think it's, a lot of it is preference. But I'll say two things. One, China, I feel like, has been smarter overall than the U.S. I feel like that's how they've gotten ahead. Like, their economy has grown, is now bigger than our economy. If you go back 60 years, it was pretty much an agricultural economy. We were already a we were already industrialized. They were not. Within that short amount of time, now they are already... People say when you go to China, the cities look more modern than American cities. Why? Because they've been able to modernize so fast. They're setting up themselves to be the number one power in the world, but it's also because they've been able to do things like what you're talking about. Every year they take in half a trillion dollars of our wealth and it's transferred to their country just by... Making, like, whatever they make, like, those little products you buy at Walmart, like, yep. a little, like, 
little like American flag made of like bamboo or whatever it's made of with like a little bit of cloth but little things like that little products cheap little products that along with the things you're talking about trans shipping it's just been a transfer of wealth like we've just we're producing gdp and we just spend it on all these basically per, like not perishable but non-durable consumer goods yeah and we're not and now that they have all this money right now they're coming in because we've given them all of our a lot of wealth over a number of years now they have wealth built up and now they're coming over to united states and buying property which is really the most valuable thing you can have right because property is yeah. very limited and you need to live somewhere so now they're buying property like in new york city there's whole like they bought, we always talk about, they bought the Waldorf Astoria, one of the most famous hotels. Canada, there's a new, huge, it's the biggest office building, um, biggest office building development in the history of New York City is now being built in Hudson Yards by Canadians. Like, I mean, that's not, that's not U.S., but that's Canada, right? Canada's one-tenth the size of the U.S., but they're able to do this big, um, development project it's it's just worrisome the idea that now that the wealth has been transferred they're coming in and they're buying real estate which should be at least guarded for americans to some extent right because you don't want you don't want to be living in your own country paying rent to the owner who's a foreigner yeah exactly exactly uh, so 17 percent of u.s steel is imported from canada four mm-hmm. percent is imported from china so Roughly eh, 27.3 billion is the figure I came to. Uh, dollars worth of steel are imported into the U.S. from China directly. And that's, er, no, uh, altogether, excuse me, altogether. It's a lot lower if it's just from China. But because of trans shipping, Trump wants to put a 25% tariff. On it, so would he have to give it to NAFTA? Thirty-four billion. Or would it be an exception to NAFTA? I don't know. That's that's a question I don't think people have really asked. Okay, I know that he's talked about redoing NAFTA. I would love to redo NAFTA because we give too much free stuff to Canada. What about Mexico? Mexico is different. I'd be okay with. I, I'm a little bit okay with that. The problem with Mexico and a lot of Latin American countries is that they just let the, the Chinese do whatever they want. And one of the big things that I liked about Mitt Romney in 2012 was he wanted to get a U.S., a bigger U.S. presence in Latin America in their economy because China is dominating us in Latin America. Who built that? Who built the Costa Rican stadium, Bill? Stadium, China. Oh. Who... Did Nicaragua lease the canal that they're building to for a hundred years? Did they? You're kidding. They didn't lease that to China. Yeah. No, not even not even lease. Pretty much given, but well, ninety nine year lease means they can use it for ninety nine years. Yes, sir. That's disgusting. And they gave it to them extremely cheap. I think the figure was like or five hundred million or something. Well, like Nicaragua that. doesn't have any money, so any money they can get, they'll take. Yeah, and especially from That's China, sad. they gotta get it from a communist country. Because they can't get it from from uh, from the United States because the United States is evil and capitalism is evil and communism is great and so is socialism and so because all those things are so much better than capitalism. I don't feel that one is better than the other. They're yeah, I don't. Better. I don't either. It it all depends. It it you have to factor in human nature. I think the purpose of government 
is because humans are naturally evil. So there needs to be a government to step in and say when businesses are doing something wrong, but humans are also in charge of the government, so you can't let the government have too much power because humans are evil. My general thinking on things is that you should try to produce as much as you can domestically. Because if you produce domestically, it means that, one, you can't have your terms dictated to you by an outside power. Exactly. Right? You're, it's like being a homeowner versus being a renter. Like, you might be renting in a luxury building, but would you rather rent in a luxury building your whole life, or would you rather own a home? Maybe, you know, maybe it's not a luxury building, but maybe you own your own home. It's a small home, but it, and it's in a medium, middle-class neighborhood. I would rather own my own home in that neighborhood with a yard than rent in a luxury building. Because at least it's yours at the end of the day. And if you're speaking about domestic, owning your own things domestically, you give yourself a lot more. You're empowering yourself by having the means of production within your own country. What, What do you think? Cuba is a good example? How? Well, we can't edit you out. No, you can. By all means. By all means, Gene. By all means. You want in? Cuba is a good example of what? Alright. So, another example of this is when I went to Cuba last summer. I was talking to the Cubans about how they... What happened to their economy. Because if they're a communist country. Small country, but at one time was very wealthy. And when communism took over in the 50s, all of the Cubans fled to... No, all of the wealthy Cubans... So once communism took over, the wealthy, they knew it would hurt them, okay? Because communism has, at least in principle, the idea that everybody's going to be put on an equal playing field. Rich, poor, doesn't matter. That's in principle, right? Yeah. What really does end up mattering in, in actuality is government affiliation or not. But let's just say the wealthy people that were like capitalists, that were like, they were starting to run casinos and stuff like that, that had these beautiful homes on the on the, um, on the the bay and like right on the water of the ocean, they left from Miami. So Miami has this big Cuban presence. And, the, and they're very, some of these people were talented. So a lot of wealth and talent left right away and it created a vacuum in Cuban society. Now the government also took over the um the there was resistance from the capitalists but there was also resistance from those who owned farms. So the farm owners also wanted to keep their own land. They didn't want to be kicked off the land. I mean, they do own their own farms. But once the revolution happened, they were kicked off, and people that were unskilled were put in the farms. Once these, But they didn't know what, how to do anything because it's like putting me in a farm, and now somebody's been doing it for four or five generations, running a farm effectively. Now you put me in a farm, and I'm supposed to keep up his level of production. But it just couldn't happen. So then they, because they're friendly with Russia, because they are communists russia starts shipping them grain they start and then but then they start doing stupid stuff like burning down like factories 
because they do like they just do a bunch of stuff to try to like equalize let's say and they ended up getting to the point where within like 15 to 20 years after they were a very healthy economy they were basically like 85% of their economy was dependent on russian like Russian contributions, let's say the Russians would come in, they would do low training, the Russians would send them tons of grain, the Russians would send them cars, they never learned how to produce cars. The only thing they really were good at was medicine and certain level of education. And that, they had to learn the hard way over the next 20 years, and they're just learning it now, how to farm, how to do their own factories, because this stuff is not magic, it's not like you just wake up one day and you know how to do the basics of the, the basics of the economy, those things either are inculcate, normally when you think of a modern society, it's already built on those things, so those things have already been in place 10, 12 generations in time, and, and, um, you're just adding on to it. Like now you added on to the fact that you know how to produce food. You've added on space technology. Well, in this point in time, they didn't even know how to produce food. And probably they, you know, who knows if they had space technology. They had nuke technology that they got from Russia. But they didn't even know how to do the basics. So now Cuba is basically redoing from the very basic level their economy. But the issue is, is that the government, the communist government has been so like... Uh, tight-fisted or tight-gripped as they started, as the economy started sinking because when they started losing money, the government got more and more overreaching because they wanted to make sure they had their cut. Because in a prosperous society, you can give that guy his cut, this guy gets his cut, and we get ours, and everybody's cool. But when the economy starts shrinking, which is literally what happened, the economy contracted, the government took over more because they wanted to make sure that they had their cut. So there was not as much free business as you would hope, right? Like in China, there's a lot of free business. I don't mean free, like no cost. No, anymore. I know what you're talking they about. They have liberty to do a yeah, business. Yeah, liberty. They just have to pay 25% That liberty government. has been developed over the last, like, 70 or 80 years anyway. Which is what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah they've, they've, they've slowly given a lot more liberty to companies to do things. And as we talked about, they used it to copy people's ideas and then now they're really getting rich off of our backs and we do need I would say we need these tariffs and a lot of people applauded Trump for that and including well me. I would say that the people that don't applaud him on this are certain people one people that are you hear them go on about trade war right so I would say it probably hurts multinationals do, okay do we really export enough to worry about a trade war with China I don't know. I have no idea. Well, we have a seven. We have almost an a hundred billion dollar trade deficit with the rest of the world. Well, that's what Trump said when he did it. He's like, "We're losing anyway." It's like we're losing anyway. Like we don't have anything to lose here. We're already getting our ass, excuse me, kicked. Yeah. If we get, exactly. if it gets kicked a little more, it's like you're already lo you're already almost losing a trillion dollars a year as a wealth transfer. And that. the way that he wants to act stimulate the economy is with an infrastructure bill. Act a little bit tougher, and maybe you can get some of that money back. But keep going as it's going, and you're just gonna fall. You, it's like it's not like we're winning, and we're trying to protect the winning thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're losing terribly. Try something new. Give it a little gamble. You might have a change of pace. Okay, let's talk basketball. No, no, but I want to ask... I want to ask... We're who, losing terribly, so we might as well just continue to lose 
tank and then get the first overall draft pick and then, boom, playoff contender. Who? Philly? Yeah, look what Philly did. Yeah. Right. But I them. just want to ask, who are the people that disagree? I would say the multinational people disagree. Uh, I would say more free market capitalists. Yeah, free market capitalists, anarchists, same thing. Uh, libertarians. Yeah, libertarians disagree because they're like, well, we need competition, and competition should come from foreign countries. And I'm like, no, no. Well, I also think that, you know, competition is good, right? Competition but, is great. But I would say as the... as capitalism advances more in time and the and the wealth inequality becomes greater and greater competition is not really it's no longer fair competition right yeah exactly so it's like how are you going to compete personally with a billionaire exactly. it's like it's impossible it's not competition it's literally not competition it's it's like me going up against LeBron James at basketball. That's not at my level. It's not fair competition. So they say competition means all rules off. Well, now you're going to let me play against LeBron James at basketball, but he's also allowed to punch me in the all face rules off. to the hoop. All right. I'm, like, I'm going up against uh, uh, Nate Robinson. I'm going to school Nate Robinson. You know, he's an inch shorter than me. I'm going to get dunked on. It just doesn't play. play. I, I think when they talk about free market competition, they mean similar size businesses or similar size ventures no free market means uh 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 government well you're free, free from you're, government interference okay but but basically what i'm saying is when you get to the advanced stages of capitalism which we're in and the wealth inequality is as great as it is there was no adam smith was never thinking about this adam smith actually would have been in favor of glass steagall if you've ever read wealth of nations he had some similar banking controversies and he was in favor of putting regulations don't, on don't, banks. Don't say that. What's his name? John Maynard Keynes. Like well Keynes Karl isn't, isn't a Keynes isn't a capitalist uh, No, he's just, capitalist he's just kinda capitalist. weird. I just I just pick on economy. The all the best economic book I've ever read was How Markets Fail by John Cassidy. And what was the premise? The premise was sort of a, a more moderate approach, that the government needs to make sure that there are regulations, but not over-regulations because you don't want to smother your businesses either. But when you just allow a free-for-all and do a lot of stupid things, what's going to happen is your economy is going to collapse like what happened to the U.S. In, in, in 2009, 2008-2009. I mean, so, I think that was a lot to do with greed. It was a lot to do with a lot of things. Repealing Glass-Steagall was... Clinton, right? Yeah, that, it, it was Clinton, but it was pretty much the Republicans he that probably, proposed it. He probably had some... But the older he probably one, had some like, hookers sent in from Goldman Sachs to try to convince him of that or something like that. All I know is... Well, no, most of the Democrats in the Senate actually... Were opposed it. No, they didn't. It was actually a very bipartisan, bipartisan. bill. That's the Well, problem. that's because for ten years in a row... The economy had been on an upswing. Everybody was exactly. feeling optimistic. Alan Greenspan was going on and on about the gospel of the free market. They thought it could automatically correct itself no matter what. Yeah, and, we're, we, and we lived in a utopian society in 2008 after the after the market collapsed, right? No. We didn't? Oh, it was a little bit dystopian. Anyway, sorry, I get those two terms confused okay. like Alan Greenspan does. Anyway... <laughs> I, I At least Alan Greenspan admitted that he was wrong, wrong. in his economic Good view. Good for him. Like, 
Yeah, it was it was a it let's, was a great. Let's hit, let's let's just mention um, Iran, and then we and then we can wrap up. Oh yeah, okay. So Iran, we've got Trump who wants who back he backed us out already. No, he didn't. He didn't. He just said he's gonna back. Okay. Us out. Well, I'm 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 glad for that. Uh, I thought the Iran deal was a kind of a terrible deal myself. Uh, because we didn't do anything about Iran's human rights violations. We didn't sponsoring do terrorism. sponsoring sponsoring terrorism. They're the one of the reasons before Russia even got involved. One of the reasons the Assad regime was even in existence is because Iran keeps funneling money to the Assad well, regime. I'm pro the Assad regime. I don't like any of them at all, and I don't think that uh, Iran is helping anybody. I think, I mean, all right, for me, it's scary that if Iran got nukes. But the thing is, what we did was we said, you're not allowed to develop to enrich uranium. Right. But you know what they're still doing? They're building missiles that are capable of carrying a nuclear payload. They're still building ICBMs just without the nuclear stuff. So all they have to do is go under the table like, hey, Russia, yeah, we have some enriched uranium, some plutonium to put in our nukes. Yeah, well, they're friendly with Russia. Exactly. But you can't you can't trade in nuclear weapons. It's against international law. Yeah. Something's against the law, so that so that's really gonna prevent somebody from breaking the law because something's against the law. Somebody comes in to rob your home, you're just gonna be like, like not you're just gonna be like Well the law says you're not allowed to break into my home well, Putin's not stupid. No, he's not stupid. So he knows how to smuggle stuff in. Come I on. don't think Putin is going to want them to have uh, keep or use it. Like, I would hope not. To use it. But the last thing the Middle East needs is a nuclear arms race, which I think was something that Trump was also trying to say, is we don't want Iran Saudi to Arabia have Saudi Arabia might have it as well. I don't know. Yeah, so... If, already. I mean. If Iran... Israel already has You know what I think we're against Iran is because we're so pro-Saudi Arabia. We're so busy... We're also so pro-Israel, too. We're so busy... Yeah, but Israel's another topic. We're so busy... No, that's riding, actually very relevant. ...riding Saudi Arabia's jock that we can never get out of that position in order to see, like, how the Middle East actually is. That's my opinion. We're way too far... Our nose are way too far up Saudi Arabia's, like... We're, we're like we're like crack addicts with Saudi Arabian oil. It's like we're willing we're willing to do anything just so Saudi Arabia gives us cheap oil. But I, I don't get it because we've already like I, we just discovered new ways to harvest oil that's in Texas that increases the lifetime like I mean our ability to get more oil out of Texas shell Texas oil shells. That we thought were empty. Like, we have way more oil. Than, like, we have a lot of oil. And we have gas as well, natural gas. It's not like we're running out. They thought 50 years ago we were going to run out. Now they think, eh, maybe we'll never run out. It's like, yeah, we'd like to get their cheap oil. But if we want it, we can have our own cheap oil. Yeah. So we need to start producing our own stuff. Anyway, um, but the last thing we I need... think there's some kind of creepy connect. Personally, I think there's some kind of creepy connection between Saudi Arabia, UK, and US. Like... You, you, Saudi Arabia paid the UN to take them off the list of human rights violators, and they did. They paid the UN money to take them off, and then the the leader of the UN at the time, Moon, after he got done, he's like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. 
duh. It's like, hello. It's like these are bad people, but they're really, really rich. They might be the richest people, these Saudi sheiks, right? The ones that yep, they okay. say they might be the richest people in the world. Why would you pay? You're the UN. You don't take bribes to take Saudi Arabia off the list. It's not right. The problem with the UN is the same problem with with uh, the Confederate States of America under the Articles of Confederation before the Constitution was written. There's no there was there's no centralization, no real centralization. Nobody's really governing it. Well, I'm glad because if we were governing, it'd be a shit show. Excuse my language. No, no it I really would be because yeah, I don't, we'd I don't be disagree. over there bringing UN UN peace quote unquote peacekeeping missions into every little skull we want. I cannot stand. The, how there are permanent members and other members. I think that's okay. No, I, I think everybody should be a permanent member. There's like over 100 countries. Yeah, and everybody should be represented. The Security Council needs to be, it's like a vote, right? So, yeah. like, you don't think that the U.S. has more influence in the world or China has more influence in the world than, like, East Timor? Well, see... And I'm not even the, against East the, Timor, I'm just this saying. This is the debate that they had in the, in, in, when they were debating the Constitution. Right, James Madison wanted originally wanted to do a just sort of a Senate kind of thing, and then somebody else was like, "Yeah, but the states with more more population have more influence." Okay. So that's where the House of Representatives came. But you're from. in favor of that? Yeah, I think we should have both. We should have one that has more representation, sort of like a House. They have that because they have the they have the General Assembly, and then they have the Security Council. But see, the the fact that they call it the Security Council is automatically a bad thing. Why? Because you're you're talking about war, basically. It needs to be a legislative branch that makes universal legislation. Like, the whole world needs to be one country. Alright, so, just on the Iran deal one more time, before, cause before we get into the UN, because I feel like it's just a disaster. Yeah. Um, I would say about Iran that until you come up with a better deal, people said... First of all, people said that it would undermine U.S. like U.S. credibility worldwide if we back out of a deal that where they haven't violated. That could be, but at the same time, like if it's a if it is a bad deal, well, according to Netanyahu, they violated it because Benjamin Netanyahu I don't believe that, is I don't definitely believe reliable really and trustworthy, I don't believe that, and he's not a warmonger with prejudice against Muslims, I don't especially Iran. I don't believe that. Israeli intelligence. Yeah, n- listen. The but did he say that they saw that they caught that they like intercepted like Iranian like documents or videos or something like that? I don't even know, but you could tell just by looking at Netanyahu's face that he was lying. <laughs> no, we have to look it up and see. Oh man, now we're just going crazy. We have to look it up and see what what they intercepted. I think they intercepted documents that said that they were really going to continue their program or something like that. My, my point is, like, Iran shouldn't have nukes, but you shouldn't just straight up appease them either. Yeah. Maybe you should tighten the deal, like, but they probably won't don't want you to tighten the deal. No, they don't. Another thing that's weird is that Iraq, Iranian foreign minister, he's like, oh, we never had the, in- we had the intention to enrich uranium, but we never had the intention to make nuclear weapons. I'm like, what do you, like, I don't know, it seems strange to me, like, how much... I wish that I did not have sexual relations with that woman. No, I mean the idea is like I don't know they need nuclear power maybe or something like that. To me, Iran we should never got nuclear power works so well everywhere. 
we should never have Noble, Island. Yeah, I know, I know about the problems. We should never got involved. To, in my view, I say don't get involved. So what we should do is let the Middle East become even a fuse to be lit in the Middle East. Yes, because this is why. Because. Every time we stick our finger in the Middle East, it just misses. It's like sticking your finger in a pie. It's like nobody wants to eat that pie. What we should have done is just not gone into Iraq to begin with. Yeah, but this isn't really about Iraq. This is about Israel. The reason we're so bothering Iran so much is because we want to keep Israel safe. But that's not our job. Israel has that little defense system in the air. Israel has nukes. A lot, like 80 or 60 or something. But I'm just saying, if they shot a missile at Israel, I think Israel could intercept the missile anyway. Six-day war, war of Yom Kippur. All right, are we going to add anything else? Because now we're just all over the place. Uh, I I pretty much think that's it. All right, well, we'll get back to you. This is our first episode on foreign policy. We'll be putting up another episode soon. Nice talking to you, Mike. All right, Phil. There we go.